Hello everyone, you're listening to Game Rivals, a podcast where a Nintendo fan and a PlayStation fan talk about the latest games and happenings in the gaming community and industry. I'm one of your hosts, Maximilian X, and together with Sean Templar, we bring you this bi-weekly podcast about video games. Alrighty, welcome back to a brand spanking new episode of the Game Rivals, everybody. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Templer, and I'm sitting here with my good friend, Maximilian X. How are you today, my friend? I am doing good. I'm actually really good. I uh, have a lot played, so we have a lot that we can talk about in what we've been playing. And we have a lot to talk about in our news segment. So uh, I'm very excited. Let's switch on to the news then. Cool. So, uh, first thing that I want to talk about first um, is the thing that happened last week. Uh, if you guys may or may not have heard about it, there was a sudden drop of a Nintendo Direct. Um, they gave us 24 hours notice, as they tend to do. And they dropped on us a 40-minute Nintendo Direct. Now, I'm not going to go through all of it, because otherwise some of you might get bored to tears. And honestly, it's best to experience the Direct as is. I'm just going to give you guys a few of the highlights that uh, caught my eye and uh, hopefully caught Sean's eye as well. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is something that we actually talked about in a previous episode that got leaked. So this was not a really big surprise when it showed up on the Direct. Overwatch Legendary Edition is coming to Switch. Yay, which is finally. I'm so happy for you guys that you get it after all these years. Kind of like the the Switcher. Oh, come on. You, you like, know what I said I, last week, right? The Switch is going to be that place where you get to experience all these games three years after they've come out on PlayStation. Well, they did announce a lot of ports during this Direct, so I can't really, you know, argue against that. But I will say this. Personally, I feel that Blizzard is a little bit behind on this. I feel that if Overwatch came out last year in 2018, it would have been a way better fit for one. For two, they would be the only game in town because now you have stuff like Paladins on Switch. It has been on Switch for months now, and that is a free-to-play game. And in terms of graphical fidelity, granted... Paladins has a dynamic resolution of 900p max and 720p um, on handheld, but that's dynamic, so it switches to you know ease up tension on the on the GPU, on the CPU. But it runs at a buttery smooth 60 frames per second, something that Overwatch is not going to do because that is going to be running at 30 frames per second. But according to Blizzard, the Resolution will be locked at 900p in dark mode and 720p in handheld mode. So we'll see how that works out. Um, you can imagine that not, not a lot of people are excited to hear that it's running at 30 frames per second. But these are, well, the you know, you know these are the things that we're given, especially since it's running on Switch. So, you know, we should be happy that it's running on Switch at all. So that's one. Um, another thing that got announced during uh, E3, honestly, it was 40 minutes long. That is the same length as an E3 um, direct from Nintendo. So excuse me for that slip up. But the second thing that got announced um, was for Smash. 
and that is, of course, Banjo and Kazooie, which was already announced, but they shadow dropped his coming to Switch on the same day. So later that day, it was a- you were able to play as Banjo. They had this 20, 10, 20 minute uh, demo from Sakurai, the man himself, uh, on how to, uh, on what, you know, the abilities that Banjo and Kazooie have. And then they also announced the next character, which unfortunately was also leaked a couple of days before, about a week before, which is Terry Bogart from SNK's Fatal Fury series slash King of Fighters. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that are like, Terry who now? And I don't blame them for it, but if you have been on the internet for the past decade or so, and you've never seen a Terry Bogart meme, you're doing yourself a big disservice because the dude has like killer English lines that are just <sighs> hilarious. I rec- I um, suggest you look it up. I'm not going to imitate it here on the podcast. So, you know. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea who the dude is. And I don't I know. know any memes. And I asked everybody that I know. And nobody knows who it who it was. Oh, and I'm not the only I, one this gonna, time. I'm not gonna lie. Even though I've never played a Fatal Fury game, I have watched the anime that are based on the property, and it kind of little breaks my heart a bit because seriously, the characters are so ridiculous and it's funny and hilarious. But um, yeah, like I mean, if a Japanese thing, yeah, um, it kind of is mostly because the Neo Geo was a how much did it cost? Like a Neo Geo cost almost like eight nine hundred dollars, and uh, each game that they sold for it cost upwards towards three hundred dollars. And people freaked out that the PS3 at the time was six hundred euros. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but the difference between that is that the Neo Geo was essentially a arcade board slammed into a console, and the cartridges are literally the ROMs that they put in the arcade machines. So the cartridges are. Well, I can't show you because it's you know a podcast, you but I'm showing it. But I'm showing it to to um, I'm showing it to Sean Templer right now. It's like about this big. Jesus, that's a yeah. big cartridge. Yeah, they were proud of their game, so they put it in a big flipping cartridge. I thought it was uh, the the NES uh, cartridges were big. Oh no no no, the SNES cartridges no pittances, man. It's like ten times bigger than that. So, uh, yeah, nobody owned a Neo Geo unless they were super rich. And even then, they didn't own it they, because it was a stupid They didn't investment. really own it because you can go to the arcade and play the games there. I mean, you can buy them now on Switch. They're all on the eShop. All the Fatal Fury games and, all, and most of the 2D um, King, of, uh, King of Fighters games are on the Switch. So if you want to get to know Terry Bogart better that way, you can play those games on the Switch. Um, moving, yeah, sorry. Happy days. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, if you want to get to know, know Terry and what moves you can expect in Smash, I would recommend that. They're not that expensive, so yeah, go for it. Um, moving on, uh, another thing that got announced, um, which kind of came out of left field, was um, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Finally, after a year, because people have been begging for it for a long time. So at a certain point, people are just getting tired. But now they finally, it's finally out. Uh, it came out a day after the Direct. 
Um, it launched with 20 games. Most of them are excellent. A few of them are kind of a dud. Um, looking at you, Brawl Brothers. Maybe you should tell our audience the full name, because when I heard it during the direct, I literally cracked up, because it's the most stupid long name there is. All right. So the name for the service is called Super Nintendo Entertainment System Nintendo Switch Online. That's just the most bizarre, long, and unnecessary name. Why couldn't they call it NES Online or I don't know? Well, well, nobody ever says Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Everybody says SNES. So it's basically SNES Nintendo Switch Online, which doesn't make Still it better. Long. Yeah. But, you know, at least it's... It's almost like it's, the Xbox One sad. You know, the one without the disc drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All digital edition. <laughs> well, this one is the SNES NSO, so you know, make of that of you what you will. Yeah. But yeah, there are 20 games uh, that launch alongside it. You know, this usual suspects, Super Mario World, Super Mario Kart, Legend of Zelda, Link to, uh, Link to the Past, you know, Super Metroid. But also stuff that um, never really, you know, never really got a big release. Um, or got re-released ever, like Stunt Race Effects is one of those Super FX2 chips games that only released once when it came out originally on the Super Nintendo, and that's it. Um, so that's actually an interesting one to have, um, alongside a Japanese-only title, Super Puyo Puyo 2, which is cool, because that never came out outside of Japan. And considering that everybody now knows what Puyo Pop is, you know, it's a it's an older version of that game, but it's still a goodie. I have no idea. So, uh, it's a puzzle game versus... It's it's not bad. It's fun. Now, personally, my favorite iteration of that is Puyo Pop Fever for the game GameCube. But, uh, yeah. I mean, the new version that's on Switch, Puyo Puyo versus Tetris, is also a really fun fun game to play. Um, and they also have the tournament edition on Switch as well. So... That's like specifically for e for e tournaments. Um, other than that, um, yeah, I would say look up the list. It's on Nintendo's website or any other uh, Nintendo-based website you can find that covers this kind of stuff. But uh, check it out, and if you have a Switch, you can download it for free if you have the Nintendo Switch Online service and uh, have at it. Um, the last thing I want to talk about that was uh, on uh, was on. Yeah, on on the direct, um, was that there were lots of <laughs> I do mean a lot of shadow drops. Um, there were a bunch of games that got announced that were shadow dropped right then and there. One of them is uh, what's it called again? Um, Divinity Original Sin Two, um, which is a PC uh, Western RPG, so not a JRPG. I know. Hey, that's different. <laughs> this one has something unique though. If you've played the game on the PC on Steam, you can actually share that save file to your switch which yeah. which this is the first time they're ever doing that for the switch which is crazy um what else did they shadow drop they shadow drop here by the way that it's a really good rpg a couple of friends of mine played oh, it Oh, it is i've, I've actually it's played a with a really yeah. good rpg it's also available on playstation and xbox i believe i was kind of surprised it's in there for p uh, for the switch and i was kind of happy that it's coming to the switch because i thought mm, maybe i should pick it up on the switch instead of uh on a PC. Now you can pick it up. It's 40 bucks, so it's not that expensive. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I played it a bit at a friend's at a friend's place because he was like, "You gotta play this, son." Oh wow! Like, all right, okay, all right, easy there, chief. Um, what else? They shadow drop. They talked a bit about Pokemon. They talked a bit about the uh, Link's Awakening, of course, and Luigi's Mansion, which is all good and dandy. That looked really they fun. Luigi's a bit about Mansion. It has multiplayer or call. It has a bunch of multiplayer because yeah. the last time they talked about it, they talked about another multiplayer feature. So they talked about even more multiplayer features, which is actually kind of astonishing considering, you know, how people feel about the online service that Nintendo has. <laughs> uh, paying to have your saves in the cloud because normally you can't transfer your save. Um, you that. do the same thing for PlayStation Plus, Chief. We had this discussion once. I can take my saves and put them on a USB stick if I want without having PS Plus. But if yeah. I, for example, go on holiday and I don't have Nintendo Switch online and I lose my Switch, I lose all my progress for for Zelda, for example. Yeah, true. That sucks. That does suck. Um, dang it, I forgot which ones were all shadow dropped uh, that day. There were some um, demos, should... right? Uh, Astral, there... no, uh, Deus Ex Machina, I believe. Yeah, I kind of wish that Astral Chain did have a demo, but we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. So um, I will talk about this and what we've been playing, but Damon S. Machina had its proper demo, not the beta, that's different. Um, an actual demo, which again, just like with the last demo that we talked about, the one about Dragon Quest, the save file transfers over to the full game. That's nice. So, you know, if you've played the Damon X Machina prologue demo, you enjoyed that stuff, awesome. Transfer it to the full game when you get it. You can pick up where you left off, which is good, because that way you're not wasting your time on playing a demo. Um, ah, right. Another thing that they shadow dropped was Super Kirby Clash, which is a free-to-start game, which is a port of a 3DS game called Kirby Clash. I think, yeah, I think it was called Kirby Clash. Um, and, well, it's essentially the same thing as the, the, the 3DS game. The only difference is now... Um, Unlike where you needed friends to play online with in uh, in Kirby Clash, in Super Clash, you can actually team up with random people online if you don't have any friends that are online at the moment. So that's actually kind of cool because there are specific online missions that you can do for that game. And if your friends don't have the game because they don't care for it or they're not online, online at that time, it's good to have some people to play with. Um, they also announced, real quickly... Um, Deadly Premonition 2 is coming to Switch in 2020, and to celebrate, they also shadow dropped the first game, which is nuts. It's awesome. Um, it's a horror type game. That game um, really looks strange, by the way. What? Which one? Deadly Premonition? Yeah, it kind of freaked me out. Well, it is a horror game, so that's why it probably freaked me out. <laughs> it is supposed to freak you out. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um. Yeah, so those are the things that they shadow dropped. I think I'm missing one, but ah, we'll get to it. Um, a few things that they also announced that we didn't know before. They're porting uh, one of the Wii's uh, seminal JRPGs, uh, Tokyo Remar Mirage Session Sharp FE Encore, which is the crossover title between the Shimagami Tensei series, also um, you know known as the Persona mainline franchise, and Fire Emblem. So it's kind of like a Persona game, but with Fire Emblem characters as your Personas instead of, you know, regular Personas that are based off of 
um, deities and such. Um, it is really cool. It's very colorful. The game story does center around, you know, the Japanese idol system. So the characters are actors, singers. There's whole songs involved, and they are actually adding a new song that wasn't in the original game. So that's cool. Um, they also announced a HD remake of the first Xenoblade game, which is awesome because the first Xenoblade game came out on Wii, and even for a game that came out on Wii, it looked like a mid uh, mid generation PlayStation Two game. So it was vast and it was awesome, but the characters looked like crap. Now they don't look like crap, which is cool. Um, that game is coming out in twenty twenty. They announced a whole bunch of other stuff that I would recommend you look it up. Um, and yeah, see what interests you, what tickles your fancy. Um, Sean Templer, you watched it as well. Is there anything else that uh, tickled your fancy when you saw it or at least caught your attention? It's just... I always think it's weird when you say tickle your fancy, but that aside, <laughs> weirdo. Um, I'm not a weirdo. I was amazed by the amount of uh, third-party support or the at least the, the unique games that were coming to the Switch. And I, mm -hmm. I told you the day afterwards. That, like I, I think that the format of the Direct is good. It's a little bit too Japanese for my taste. Um, mm -hmm. I like the part around Link's Awakening. I like the part around Pokemon uh, Sword and Shield. Um, Divinity Original Sin, I did not expect that one. So that was no, really neither a did I. Yeah, that was really <laughs> like, a nice seriously. one. Um, I love the fact that these big AAA games are coming to the Switch. And yes, you can experience them on other platforms, but I'm starting to realize more and more that having some of these experiences on the go is kind of where these games shine. Because, for example, with The Witcher, I have that on PlayStation 4 and, and on PC. I got it free at the time with a new graphics card. And those are the best places to play for me. But if I want to take it on the go, I can't do that with my PlayStation or my PC. And that's kind of where the Switch version shines. So if you're okay by having a maybe lesser visual experience, but a portable experience. And a complete experience. And a complete experience. Um, that's pretty amazing. And, and I love the fact that a lot of developers that are bringing their AAA games to the Switch, are they're pulling out some technological marvel because... For example, with the Wolfenstein and Doom as well, those games came to Switch and they really, really look nice. Yeah, um, Panic Button did like a, I don't, honestly I don't know who what people that I have at Panic Button, but them needs a raise. Yeah, I was really amazed by uh, by the the fidelity they bring to it because let's be honest, the Switch is basically a beefed up mobile processor, um, yeah. and there are processors available right now which easily outpace it. Um, so I am amazed about uh, around the the the, uh, the available the um, how should I phrase that the the power they they pull from that mobile processor and they do these mm. amazing things you know I mean we see it on mobile devices as well Fortnite looks amazing on mobile devices but I don't see the switcher on tablets or smartphones I mean I keep calling no. it a switcher uh, I don't see <laughs> the Witcher on uh, on mobile <laughs> the platforms whereas I think. That'd be amazing, but they're not doing that. So the Switch does offer something unique. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that 
but I told you I told you this before on the podcast, but before um before the switch, before the Wii U, there was a time where I was strictly a handheld gamer. The only games that I played were either on my DS or on my 3DS. That's where that's where my library is right now the biggest only second to my Switch library right now. And even though I went full into the Wii U, there are not a lot of games that I bought for it, you know, let alone played for it. And with the Switch, it's a completely different story. I have so many games, big and small, um, retail or digital, that I've been playing on my Switch because it has that form factor. Like half of the time, I have that thing with me. When I go to work or when I go anywhere, my Switch is always in my bag because I have to travel by train and I always have some downtime to actually pick up and play something. It doesn't matter what. Um, it's how I was able to finally finish the first Fire Emblem game ever for me. I mean, you know, so it is that, you know, that form factor helps. And I think that's part of the reason why I think that the, the Switch Lite is going to be a big blockbuster this holiday season. I hope uh, so. And I do think, believe it has a shot. I mean, for 229 here in the Netherlands, for example, that's a really nice entry point for um, a modern console. I mean, yeah, I can't see a PlayStation or an Xbox at that price point. Not yet, anyway. No, not yet. Not, not until maybe next year or something. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was a bit about the direct. Those are the things that I kind of wanted to talk uh, us to talk about. Um, yeah, it was a media direct. Um, moving on. Uh, unfortunately, I have to bring it down a notch because we have to talk about the big elephant in the room when it comes to the game industry again, which is uh, people being accused of uh, emotional harassment and sexual harassment uh, and sexual assault. Um, unfortunately, this time it ended up with someone taking their life in this. Um, so before I even continue on, if you are someone like that, or if you know someone who, um, is dealing with mental anguish or depression or feelings of suicide, let them know that, just know that you're not alone. Um, for it, there are there are hotlines out there where you can talk to people that can help you through that. Um, if you can't talk to people that you know and love, there's always someone there who can help you throughout that. So um, please look them up, call them, uh, let them know that you know you have these feelings and um, you don't know what to do with them, and they'll help you as best as they can. Um, because the person that um, took their own life in this story was uh, Alec uh, Holoka, um, who is one of the uh, key, who was one of the key developers of Night in the Woods, this indie darling game, um, which you can play pretty much on any system uh, available, and it's it's really sad, really, because. Um, he recently got accused of uh, um, emotionally manipulating and emotionally abusing people and also um, sexual assault. And um, he got called out for it. Um, he left the development team that he was a part of. Um, 
they were working on uh, new stuff for Night in the Woods, which, uh, you know, understandably also uh, got pushed out and essentially canceled. Um, and this, about a week or so, he um, he took his life. Um, his uh, sister uh, shared that announcement on Twitter. Um, and she during that, she also talks about um, that he's been dealing with um, chronic illnesses and mental illnesses for a really long time. And he was doing well uh, for a while, but, well, part of the mental illnesses and disorders that he had is um, the reason why he did certain things that he wasn't supposed to. Um, he, it's, it's a, I don't know, even know how to describe it, but... Let me put it this way. Yeah. Being accused of something and actually doing it are two things. Were they able to prove that he did the things that he was accused of? Yeah, he, um, they did. And um, he also um, acknowledged it. Um, but the unfortunate part of that is that because of all the attention that it got... Um, it seems like it got to him um, mentally himself. And yeah, it just ended with him taking his life. Yeah, that's that. unfortunately. The tricky part yeah. is, is this is a really sensitive subject to talk about. It's a yeah, really so. difficult subject because, um, well, I'm going to say that it's a good thing that happened because you know equality is important. And because we had the Me Too movement moved through the movie industry last year. Um, it's good that things like these, like those movements happen because equality is important in rights and in pay and in promotion. I mean, I only, I can only encourage it and support it. I mean, like uh, the games industry is, has historically been a male dominant industry. Which and true. I mean, it's still kind of, it still is. And, and I'm happy that, because of something like the Me Too movement, um, those those really thick walls are piece by piece being broken down and women are getting better chances um, and it should be better as well. I mean, that's the only way to get um, to get better games because it's diverse and a lot of different people can give input and different perspectives and it only makes the end product for us, the users, better and hopefully, hopefully for the creators. Um, and yeah, these are things that these things happen are really unfortunate. And there is something to say for both sides, but yeah. But yeah, exactly. And that's what I actually wanted to talk about in this case, because yes, it's good that these things coming out to the open, but in the environment that we exist right now with how quickly things can escalate, we also need to be responsible um, as to what we put out there. Yeah. If we're going to accuse someone, then that's fine. But at the same time, it shouldn't lead to someone um, who you don't know, who you have no idea of knowing what kind of mental state they could possibly be by you harassing them about stuff that they did and that they acknowledged that they did and apologized for it, only to have it lead to something this unfortunate, which is someone taking their life. So... Um, the message that I kind of want to give with this one is I understand that the world is changing and that 
um, people um, and that accountability is being um, asked of people essentially, but it shouldn't be harassed out of people because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And I know it's kind of weird to talk about another podcast here on, uh, you know, on your own podcast, but um, one of the podcasts that I follow myself called DLC always ends with the message of think about what you do, uh, think about what you say and make it a bet and make the world a better place. And it is a message that I wholeheartedly believe that the hosts of those of that podcast truly believe. And this is the reason why uh, this is one of the reasons why they say that at the end of their uh, each of their episodes. And it is true. We do have to watch with what we say, especially in such a connected world that we live in. Yeah. Because just because you think that you're the only one that's saying that doesn't mean that there are hundred tens or maybe hundreds or maybe thousands of more people basically harassing a person just because of mistakes that they made. Unless it's unless the mistake was something as grave as killing another person, then you know but those are great gray areas and we need to be careful um of accusing people because the other thing that can also be happening is that maybe that person wasn't the wasn't the person that we were talking about and it spirals out of control. You never know what can happen in these kinds of situations. So um I hope that with this happening that people understand that just because someone wronged them to put it out there without um, approaching the person that wronged them in the right and appropriate way and just blasting them on the internet is not truly the way that we should be revolving social matters like this, unless it has, unless it has some kind of dire repercussion to the world that we live in, this should not be handled in public, at least not this way, not in a way that someone takes their life. So that's honestly the reason why I wanted to talk about this, um, about this topic and to bring it up one more time, just let people know that, you know, there are people that do bad out there. Just make sure that you handle it in the right way so that it gets handled and you can move on um, and you can get the healing that you need without causing it to escalate to a place that you and that person did not want it to get to it's kind of like um i would it just popped into my mind but i, I kind of see it like revenge if some if you're exactly, wronged yeah. or if something happens to you then you might want to take revenge on someone but if you take revenge on someone when you've done it that feeling that you're that you had or that feeling that you're having is not going to go away. Or for example, if you were to lose, uh, like in the movies, uh, a parent loses their son, their child, and they want to take revenge on the person that did, did, that did that to them. At the end of the day, even if they take revenge, it's not going to fill the void of you losing a child. That, that exactly. void will still be there. So it's not like, oh, if I kill that person, then the void that I had will be filled and I can just continue on with my life. So that's kind of like you see it. Yes, it doesn't condone what he did. Yes, it's wrong that it happened. But by in, in these days, we can create a mob really easily by, by putting one message out there and suddenly one people becomes a hundred people or thousands of people 
And then before you know it, all these people gang up on one person. And yes, what he did was wrong. I'm not condoning it. But that person taking his life is not the way we want these issues to be resolved. And it's really difficult and maybe too sensitive to talk about it. But I think by talking about it, it's, it's good to address it. I mean, we can't pretend that it's not happening and, it's, and it is an elephant in the room. And some of these matters can only be resolved by talking about it. That's true, um, which is why I wanted to bring it up. So thank you for at least indulging me. And I hope you guys, once again, um, if you do know anybody or if you yourself feel um, these kinds of feelings, talk to it with somebody, friends, family, even if you don't feel comfortable talking to them about it. Um, every country has uh, suicide prevention hotlines. You can easily Google them. Um, so if you, do that, if you do feel like that, please do that and know that you're not alone out there. Um, all right. Um, I do want to finish off the, uh, our, our, our news segment with some few one-shots uh, before we move on to uh, our next segment. Um, so, Sean. What do you get when you take a hoop and a thigh strap and attach Joy-Cons to them? A weird Nintendo Switch peripheral that's, that's being teased or that Nintendo is teasing us with? That is absolutely correct. Um, we're not going to talk about this long because we have absolutely no idea what this is about, but I can... At least give a hint because they give a hint they gave the hint it seems to be a new workout peripheral um for the switch which uses both joy cons where you can attach one to a flexible hoop which is about just shy shy of bigger than a steering wheel maybe the size of a steering wheel for a truck um and a thigh strap that you can strap to your thigh and put a joy con in um yeah, it's going to be announced on the September 12th. We'll get more details about it and probably the game that ties it all together. Um, but they just dropped this random teaser trailer with people around the world playing with the dang thing together and looking like complete weirdos. Leave it to Nintendo to come up with these weird peripherals. Well, they did make the they did make Wii fit so and the Wii honestly, heart rate sensor that would never came out which never came out yeah i'm kind of disappointed about that because that would have made a pretty badass resident evil yeah but yeah oh well can't have it all um the other thing that i wanted to one shot real quick was um astral chain finally released last week and the user reviews on sites like metacritics has been terrible the game has had excellent reviews, mind you, from, you know, the critics about, you know, I think it sits at an 88 on Metacritic, for example, right now. So it's getting mostly eights and nines. Um, nobody's given it anything lower than, I think, maybe a seven. Um, but the review bombs that happened for this game from the user side is ridiculous. And the only reason why it happened, get this, is because people are so salty that it's a Nintendo Switch exclusive. I don't know why. They are so salty about this. They did the same thing when Bayonetta 2 was announced as a Switch exclusive. You know why it's a Switch exclusive, people? 
It's because Nintendo paid for it. That's how it gets exclusives. And that's the annoying... You know what? This is more annoying than like a really big deal, which is why we're just one-shotting this. Because honestly, who cares? I mean, it's the same... It's it's like the same... Like uh, getting all salty about uh, Marvel Spider-Man being a PlayStation 4 exclusive or Gears of War being a xbox and pc exclusive you know but in this case i think that the original bayonetta came out on playstation and well it came out on playstation and came out on xbox and yeah. it came out on pc because sega published yeah it. and i think Second that that's and third game reason... are being published by nintendo so but that's kind of the reason why people are maybe upset with it that's the same like uh if spider-man was uh a ps4 exclusive which is it right now and the sequel suddenly comes out on uh on um i don't know uh xbox Xbox, and it's only an xbox exclusive people will freak out as well true but that means but to be to put it in perspective the only reason why bayonetta 2 and bayonetta 3 exists is because nintendo was the only one who was willing to pay for the development of the game they actually shipped around bayonetta 2 to a bunch of other publishers including sega and they didn't want any of it I thought the first so, one really sold well, so why wouldn't they want it? It sold decently, but I'm assuming that it did not meet Sega's standards, considering that it was a multi-platform game. So, but uh, yeah, um, Bayonetta still exists as an IP because Nintendo paid for it. So yeah, you be you should be saying thank you, Nintendo. As far as Astral Chain, Nintendo just employed them to make a new ip for them and the result was astral chain so again you're welcome nintendo um i'll leave you to the last one shot though before we move on because this is something more up your alley oh my god i don't want to talk about it <laughs> yeah so uh okay. what's coming up this week tokyo game show starts on wednesday i believe yeah and hideo kojima our great hideo kojima said uh <laughs> on twitter that uh, Death Stranding will be getting an 80-minute gameplay demo. Oh, that's wow! That's like what nonstop or like in chunks? Because I think it's in chunks because they're going to do live events at their booth, and then they're go- there's the Japanese voiceover staff is going to be there. Kojima himself is going to be there. Um, I don't know what to expect. I just read an article that today that Kojima says that he doesn't even know what Death Stranding is about. Which really worries me. Um, I just tense the tone in your voice. Yeah, it's just. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh my god! Uh, honestly, at this point, I think he's just trolling the audience. I hope so. There's no, like, there's no way that he does not know what he's talking about because that is just the biggest troll, man. Seriously. Hey, we do know him as a troll. I mean, at the time when he announced the. Uh, Metal Gear Solid, The Phantom Pain, there was this whole Moby Dick Studios thing going yeah, on, which was exactly. really weird. It was his way of being exactly. funny. <laughs> Never did get that. Uh, yeah, oh, well. I think we're, uh, we're done with the news, right? Yeah, we're pretty much done with the news, so stick around, and we'll be right back with what we've been playing. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the second segment, which is what we've been playing. 
and Sean Templar, um, looks like we've been playing quite a lot. So I'll hand it off to you. What have you been playing? Thank you. Thank you. So I have been playing quite some games. Uh, I finally finished Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, I started that one just before Red Dead Redemption came out last year. And I knew I had a week before Red Dead came out. So I was playing it nonstop in that week, constantly thinking, oh, I need to finish this because if Red Dead comes out, I'm never going to touch this. And I I never touched it. So I finally finished it this week. It appeared that I wasn't that far off. I only had to do a few more missions. So I finished it. I really liked, in general, the whole experience around Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I loved it. And I have said this in the past. I don't like the part around the animus. So I don't. I never understood why Ubisoft included that part. And in mm-hmm. the last few games, the animus part is becoming more and more optional. They're not forcing it down your throat. I would have loved it if they just killed that whole part and just made it a history game or something like that. But anyways, I love the setting. I love that the way Assassin's Creed has evolved. It has become more of a Witcher meets Assassin's Creed instead of what Assassin's Creed used to be. So there's a lot more RPG mechanics in there. It caters to a lot more play styles. You can play as an assassin, but if you want to be this badass Spartan soldier uh, that kills everyone that does the Spartan kick from the 300 movie. Um, you can do that. And I really enjoyed that part. A lot of moments where I just kicked somebody off a roof and he just flew into the distance and fell into a valley and died. Really satisfying <laughs> feeling. Um, the only thing I was bummed about was the ending. Because to give you perspective, um, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you encounter something which is called the cult which are important figures throughout the, the time period you are in, which is the Greek era, uh, that are part of this cult. And this cult is trying to seize power and change something in humanity, kind of like the Templars do in the later game. Um, and you can find hints around these cultists and then kill them. And if you kill them, you get legendary uh, gear, part of a set. Uh, and you also get a hint of who the cult leader could be. Um, and in a main, in, in, in a lot of the times, that cultist section of the game is woven into the story. But eventually, when I finished the last mission, the whole part around the cultists were still there. So it didn't end with me killing the cultist leader. That wasn't the final mission. The final mission was kind of abrupt, and it just happened. And it was a really happy ending. And there are multiple endings I found out, and I had a happy ending. But the whole part around uncovering and unmasking all the cultists and killing the cultist leader was still out there. So in that case, I was kind of surprised because I thought, okay, I expect this game to go towards you find out who the cultist leader is, you kill him, and then that's your ending. It's really strange that it kind of has these two endings and that you kind of have to either be motivated to continue after that or that you have to... Make sure that you don't finish the game before you finish the cultist parts, which is a bit confusing. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that kind of set me off. I'm like, oh, hmm, okay, I didn't expect this because yeah, now that I f- know that I finished the main story, it's really hard for me to go back and motivate myself <laughs> to wrap that whole cultist part off. Because when it got introduced in the story, I didn't expect it to be introduced in the story. 
when it suddenly was introduced there, it was this really cool and mysterious element in the story. And it kind of um, motivated me to, to learn more about them, constantly pursue and find new cultists. And now I'm just, eh, eh, I don't care, you know, I just finished the game. I'm okay with that. So I did um, that. At least you finished it. Which yeah, is that's a win. Important. So I finished uh, that game. Um, mm -hmm. Battlefield Five got some new infantry maps. So I'm still playing Battlefield Five on the PlayStation, which is a horrible experience for me. I'm getting better at it, but it's still a horrible <laughs> I was about experience. To ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm getting. Yeah, it's just you really notice the difference between using a mouse and an analog stick. Mm. Um, and I did, funnily, have these moments in which I just took out a whole squad sometimes. And I reacted so fast and I killed them all. And at the end of that, I, mean, of that, I was like, oh my God, did I just do this? Did I just survive and kill five people at once? I was really amazed. I was talking to myself when that happened, when I was playing it. Kind of strange. But um, <laughs> I had these cool moments. Um, I like the new maps. They're focused on infantry. Uh, one is called Provence, which is based in France, I believe. These really tight, closed uh, multiplayer uh, infantry-based maps. And there's the cheese wheels. No, no. Um, there is also an, a map based on um, the Firestorm map. So there's a section of the Firestorm map they took and made a, an, a combat infantry map around. I haven't played mm -hmm. that one. It looks really nice. Um, what DICE has done now is they've kind of pushed a bit of their content and said, okay, we are really focusing on delivering stability and bug fixes first before committing to new content. The roadmap is still out there, but um, the Alsendan map, for example, they promised a month or two months ago is still not available for Conquest. Um, I hope that the new remake of Operation Metro, Operation Underground, it's, it's called, I believe, is going to come out soon. Um, it's good to see that they're committed on fixing Battlefield, but you can only keep us busy for so long with the existing content before people just start to get bored and think, you know what, I'll just play something else. And especially with uh, the new Call of Duty uh, on the horizon, it's a really important part because I think a lot of people are going to make the switch and say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm just going to go over to the uh, Call of Duty side. Yeah, I get it. Um... It, yeah, I mean, it, here's the thing when it comes to uh, live games is that you have to you have to get that sweet spot when it comes to, you know, delivering the content versus delivering, you know, quality yeah. and stability. And considering that they're online games, that you have to make certain sacrifices. And in this day and age with people... Seemingly having less and less attention spans, it's kind of it's kind of a delicate balance to be in, to perform, essentially. I get that. Just the only thing that sets me off in this case, and specifically in Dice's example, is that, for example, Battlefield 3 was an amazing Battlefield game. It was, for, for me at least, it's the best Battlefield game so far. And that it also didn't need to be super high fidelity like the games that are now, though. Yeah, but at the time, it, it was... When, when I first played that game, I, I played it on PC, I was really amazed about how beautiful it was, how, 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 how the maps were constructed. I loved all the base game maps. The weapons just felt right. The gunplay of Battlefield 3 was perfect. And then they came out with Battlefield 4, which really felt like an expansion, which I didn't like. Then, then another studio came out with Battlefield Hardline, which 
really felt off. Then Dice <laughs> came out with Battlefield 1, which was, again, that Battlefield 3-like experience. I love Battlefield 1. And the post-launch support, so the live service around it, they really nailed that part. It was really, really good. We didn't have these game-breaking bugs. We got regular content updates. So you would expect them for Battlefield 5 to kind of nailed it. Also with Star Wars Battlefront 2. Star Wars Battlefront 2, yeah, it had his little hiccup in the beginning with the microtransactions. But it has been getting this amazing stream of content. So it's the same studio. They have experience in the past. Or you would think, okay, they've learned from their mistakes in the past. They have the, the previous game they delivered was amazing from a live service perspective. And then this thing called Battlefield 5 comes out. And you would just say, well, they had this amazing foundation around Battlefield 1. And they probably built on that foundation. And this game has kind of been plagued with issues since day one. So let me get this straight. That means that DICE is essentially working on two live games because I'm, I'm assuming that they stopped supporting Battlefield, um, uh, Star Wars Battlefront 1 a while ago. Yeah, and they're, they're still supporting Battlefront 2. Yeah. And that's already out for two years. Isn't that kind of a... Aren't, doesn't that maybe mean that they're stretching themselves a bit too thin? Well, they have... DICE has multiple studios. But there's, for example, the studio in Sweden that generally takes point on the games. And then there's the studio in, for example, LA that is, from at least what, what, what I've seen, is more like the support studio. So when the main game comes out, they take over support or they develop content parallel to the main game. So now DICE LA, I believe, is carrying the support for Battlefront 2. And Sweden is doing Battlefield 5. And... LA is sometimes helping out with some content for uh, Battlefield 5. And I believe also uh, the guys behind Burnout, I forgot their name. Um, they, for example, made the Firestorm mode. So EA is kind of outsourcing it internally. Um, Still feels like they're stretched a bit too thin. Honestly, I'm starting to realize why stuff like Anthem are the way they are. Yeah, but in this case, for example, and that's with a lot of live games, is that the team scales down considerably once the game comes out. So when you're developing the game, it's maybe 200 people working on it. And then suddenly when the game comes out and the live service or the live team steps in, it's maybe 20 or 30 people that do that. So it's also a bit of skill because the main team will probably move on to something else. Yeah. And people wonder why microtransactions are a thing. Oh, I hate it. But anyways, <sighs> that's around Battlefield 5. Um, I started playing Days X Mankind Divided again. I say again because it's the third time I've started that game. Oh boy! Yeah. Um, I'm I'm in one hour. And I'm at the same point I was at the other three times or the two times. Oh, no. Um, that doesn't sound yeah. very positive. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. So far, I love the first game. I love this game. It's really building on the foundations of the first one. It looks really nice. It's really pretty. As I said, it plays nice. Um, the game continues, picks up on the story from the previous one. So that's really nice. And basically the game is set in the distant future in which augmentation, so enhancements to our body have become partially uh, accepted and partially a threat. So you play as Adam Jensen, who was a security guard for this really big CEO of one of these augmentation companies 
um, they break into your company and you almost die. And the only way for you to survive is to basically upgrade your body with all these mechanical augmentations, giving you super strength and super sight and invisibility and whatever. Um, and then in the, at the end of the first game, there is this organization that makes all these people with augmentations go berserk, kind of painting a bad picture around augmentations. And then in the second game, you work with, you work at Interpol as one of the few augmented people left there. And you're struggling with society cracking down on these augs, as they call it. I'm still in the first hour. It's, it's really fun so far. Um, Sounds cool enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's done by the, done. It's made by Idos Montreal, and it's supported by Crystal Dynamics. It's really a. It kind of reminds me of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven because it's really. That I was style. about to say, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a really good game. It's been out for a few years. Um, I picked it up a couple of years ago, but I never actually got time to dig into it. So now I am. Um, I finally get to talk about a game that I played, but I couldn't talk about. And now that game is available in open beta, so I can finally talk about it. A while back, I got to play Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which is nice. a sequel to Ghost Recon Wildlands, not Badlands, as you call it. Good grief, man. I already apologize. Yeah. Um, that one's also shaping up to be a really nice game. The yeah. game is set in... Uh, okay, but to be fair, you... Liked the first game. Yeah, I liked the first game. Yeah, yeah the first game had its flaws. It was really repetitive. Uh, and it really shined if you played it together with someone instead of alone. Because if you played it alone, you would generally get bored of the missions because the missions were, as I said, repetitive. And your team was overpowered. They could make the most impossible shots. You could just tag people and say, okay, I want you to take that guy out on the count of three. And then he would... You as a human player would not be able to take that shot. I would. They would just throw, throw, shoot through five meters of concrete wall and then they would just kill the target. Um, but in a way, I, I liked the first one because it was this first Ghost Recon game that had this huge open world approach. Um, and then in this one, it's set on an island called Aroa. Um, it was, there was this secret... Um, company there that does research and provides does innovative research around new technologies and they have the all these drones weaponized and they sell this to the military and suddenly the military loses contact with this uh island and this company and it turns out that uh the wolves as this faction is called have uh, stepped in and seized control over this island and all that technology has fallen in the wrong hands and these wolves turn out to be ex-ghosts so you're kind of fighting against an enemy your that knows kind. all your tactics and your weapons and it's basically your own kind yeah yeah i got to play a brief uh, alpha in uh, i think it's in the opening parts of the mission in which you and your team try to infiltrate the island you get shot down um you start crashed alone you try to survive and find your team and try to get off the island to signal uh, the Navy that they need to step in. Um, yeah, because it was an alpha, I played it on PC, and it was, yeah, there were some bugs there, here and there. Um, but beside the work-in-progress part, it really played nice. Um, it has a lot of the the same things from the first game, but because it's, of course, the opening part, um, you, everything is new to you, but... It, 
I did kind of get the same feeling like, okay, I did hope, I do hope they fix this repetitive part of the first one because otherwise it's going to kind of be the same experience, just prettier and with more gadgets and options, even though they're really promoting, for example, the, the multiplayer part around it being more expansive and the co-op part. Um, they've added new features such as, uh, active camouflage so you can uh, hide uh, on the ground and then you can cover yourself up with mud making you uh, less detectable or, or, or undetectable if an enemy walks past you and then you can silently take them out that looks really fun you have these camps you can set up in the wilderness called bivouacs and then you can um, craft items or you can craft um something like for example a syringe that will give you an accuracy boost or a weapon handling boost, so if they've added more RPG mechanics to it, uh, that's that's really nice. I played it together with a friend of mine, and we were constantly communicating. So it was really fun that way. We see an enemy patrol, and then we would mark them up, and we said, "Okay, on account of the, take the one on the left, and I take the one on the right." And that really felt nice and organic to put it that way. It's just that if you don't play it with a friend. I don't know if you're going to have as much fun as mm. I had in that moment. Oh. Sounds like one of those games. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, Which I like to call the um, Resident Evil 5-itis. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, again, it was a work in progress. I don't know if the game eventually comes out. The game comes out next month. I don't know if it's going to be Wildlands 1.5 or something like that, or it'll be a completely new experience. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. The story sounds nice. Uh, again, as I said, John Bernthal, the, uh, the guy that plays the Punisher, is the bad guy. So that kind of puts a nice face on it. Well, bad guy's maybe a strong word. I would say more antagonist. Yeah. Because because the character itself sees itself in the right. Yeah, that's true. But so, don't yeah. all bad guys kind of see themselves in the right? Yeah, but not all bad guys are just black and white bad guys. Some have layers to them. Some have... A reason, a reason to why they do stuff. True. So. Yeah. And last but not least, I may have hinted at this in the beginning of this episode, <laughs> but I finally caved and I bought a Nintendo Switch. Welcome back to the fold. <sighs> <laughs> um, just an FYI, you did get the one with the longer battery life. Yeah. Yeah, I got the new one with the longer battery life. I traded in my uh, old uh, Xbox One S because I basically wasn't using that one. I also mm -hmm. traded in a PS4 at lying around, so I paid virtually close to nothing for the Switch. And then I got it with uh, a Zelda again because I really want to finish that game. Um, I also got a nice uh, parking ticket of around 80 bucks, so I'm really happy huh? with that as well. Oh no. <sighs> I really hate Amstelfane. I will never, ever go to that cursed place again. I got there and I had to park my car. So I went to the meter to pay for the meter. The meter said you can only park for a maximum of four hours. I thought, well, I don't want to park here for four hours. I want to park here for 30 minutes. And they said, well, you can only park here for the maximum of four hours and you have to pay for the four hours, which equals 16 euros. No. And I thought, no, no I'm not going to pay 16 euros if I'm going to spend 30 Didn't minutes Didn't you have here. like one of those apps where you can just do it there? I don't know. I don't, ha I don't have Park Mobile or whatever, but I, I didn't think about it at that moment. 
And so the, the annoying part was at the terminal, it had an option saying short, short stay, but it was grayed out. Huh? Yeah. So they kind of want to force it down my throat that I have to pay the 16 bucks. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to risk it. I'm just going to go into the store quickly and hopefully get out quickly before they see that I'm there and get me a ticket. I walked out happily with my switch. I got to my car and it was this beautiful fat ticket waiting for me on the windscreen. And I got mad. But I thought, well, I can only blame myself for cheaping out on the 16 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. 16 versus 80. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to appeal. What have you been playing on your Switch then? Yeah. So instead of playing uh, <laughs> Zelda, I also bought Dragon Quest Builders 1. Oh. The yeah. First game? Yeah. Because I played uh-huh. the demo on my previous Switch and I really liked it. And I know it's available on PlayStation, uh, but it's kind of where I about earlier that i thought you know what instead of playing this on playstation i want to be able to take this experience with me on the go um so i did so i bought it is there any reason why you bought the first one instead of the second one i thought let me just play the first one and then if i really really like it then i can buy the second one Mm -hmm. well let me know if you uh, end up buying the second one i might actually pick it up myself then too yeah yeah i I like the the multiplayer i didn't know it had multiplayer that's nice yeah, the second one has multiple. Yeah, so awesome. yeah I, I never played Minecraft, so this really feels like Minecraft with a Dragon Quest sauce over it. But I like it this way. I mean, it looks really fun and cute in its way. And I've been playing it for maybe three hours so far. I really like it. Um, yeah, the only thing I'm a bit bummed out about is that with Zelda Breath of the Wild, I had 10 hours into it. And yeah, there was no way for me to transfer the save file of my old Switch to this one. So I have to start all over again, and that's kind of maybe keeping me from starting again. So I kind of have to be in the mood to put in all those hours again. I'd say take a weekend for Zelda to get into that. Yeah, because it, it'll get you there. It'll yeah. get you there when you start. When you start going, it'll get you there. Yeah. Like no, no, that's right. But I don't, what else? Um, what else was striking about you with Dragon Quest Builders? Considering the fact that you're not a Minecraft or haven't really sunk any time into Minecraft, for example. But I will say this. Dragon Quest Builders is way better than Minecraft, mostly because it has a structured story to tell. Yeah. Whereas with Minecraft, it's just aimless exploring and surviving. Yeah, that's the that's the part I like about it. It has a story in it. The tutorials are really clear. It's fun to play. Um, I haven't played it for the last few days because I've been really busy with other stuff. But every mm-hmm. time I see my Switch lying around, I'm like, well, I feel like playing Monster or uh, Dragon Quest. So uh, tomorrow I'm going to try to sink some more time into it. All right, cool. I'm yeah. actually kind of curious to see what kind of creations you make. I'll show you soon. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to other stuff as well, such as thinking about buying this, the, the Witcher maybe and Pokemon and uh, uh some other stuff but we'll just have to wait and see about that cool that's basically it for my long list of things i've been playing what have you been playing uh i i don't i don't well i played a lot of games too um i'm just gonna run through them as quickly as possible and hit on some of the cool things that i've thought about these games um otherwise this is gonna be like a three hour pop three hour podcast and i don't think that uh, a lot of you know, listeners should be happy with that. Um, <laughs> the roles are reversed thing, for once. The, the first things first, though. Um, I have been reporting on this podcast that I've been playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, and my goal was to complete at least one playthrough of Three Houses before Astral Chain 
came out. And I'm happy to report that literally the day before Astral Chain hit, I finished my first playthrough of Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is also the first time I've ever finished a Fire Emblem game ever. Yay! Which is saying a lot because I own pretty much all the 3DS games and I've never finished one of them. I feel so embarrassed, but no, there it is. Um, <laughs> Insert still applause this... here. I think a lot of people will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know one particular person would be very happy because he keeps complaining that I never finished games. So, ha! Suck it. You know who you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, the reason why I'm saying the first playthrough is because there are three, um, three, well, three houses that you can choose to side with. I luckily chose apparently one of the houses that has the shortest storyline in 18. Um, it's 18 chapters long, this one. Um, I chose the Black Eagles, um, which was interesting, as I've said before. But this also comes back to the whole um, what I was saying about bad guys aren't always completely bad guys like black and white. In this case, yeah, I guess the Black Eagles might actually be the bad guys. Kinda, sorta, but I'd have to finish the other two storylines to be 100% sure. Um, honestly, though, again, would you side with the side that has a dragon and is you know batshit insane but even then as i f finished the final chapter and beat that dragon i kind of felt as a player some sense of remorse in that she too had her reasons for being the way that she is and it's kind of bittersweet. I mean, I did end up marrying best girl Mercedes in there. Anybody who disagrees with me can fight me on that one. Um, and other best girl, Petra, actually got to have a nice ending. Which is another cool thing about Three Houses. Um, basically, after the, basically, after the time jump, any other character that you weren't able to recruit before the time jump becomes your enemy, which can lead to some very, very tough missions, especially if you've invested or you tried to invest in some of the characters and weren't able to recruit them and you don't want to kill them. It gets really bittersweet when you ha when you're forced to. Luckily, you get a chance to recruit one or two people after the time jump, but that's kind of it. Um, the ending is really cool, though. The ending actually gives you like this small blurb with all the people in your team's portraits with what happened after you know, the game after the completion of, you know, that specific storyline, uh, how they lived their lives afterwards. And it's pretty cool to see because including the fact that you can get married after the game and yada, 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 um, it gives you a little blurb of what you and your wife, you know, did after the war in this case. And it's actually kind of nice to see that most people in your team actually ended up in a good place 
considering that they have to face off against family and friends. So, yeah, it's nice to see that they all kind of landed on their feet. So I will be playing Fire Emblem Three Houses again when I have the time, but right now my focus is on Astral Chain. Oh, God. And it is probably the most platinum of platinum games that Platinum Games has ever platinum gamed. Oh, my God. Because it has the combat, but it also has the weird interactions with people, probably even more so than any Platinum game ever. Um, the com the, the combat is just weird, and it has some getting used to because you have your character, which is a police officer. You're part of a twin team because you can choose either a boy or a girl from the twins, and the other twin is basically one of the other characters from that point on. You're a silent protagonist, which I honestly kind of feel like they missed a. They kind of missed an opportunity there. You're too much of a blank slate. I don't like it when, you're, when your character doesn't say anything. Well, I don't mind it as long as you give them at least some, some kind of personality. But this one is so bland and so boring. And I get why they did it. It's so that you can project yourself onto it. But why would you project yourself onto such an incredible blank slate of a person? You know? I don't know. I mean, with... I mean, with Link, he has, you know, expressions, he has feelings, and he even has a backstory, at least in Breath of the Wild, and makes you feel for the guy. But here, you kind of don't feel for, for, for the twin that you're playing as. You feel more for the other twin because he or she emotes. And your adoptive father sacrifices himself for you. And... You know, you feel for those people, but you don't feel for yourself, which is a really weird thing to say. Um, but story-wise, wow. This has... And this is saying a lot, especially since I just played Fire Emblem Three Houses, but this is the most anime game that I've ever played. Even the intro is exactly like an anime intro. The music... The production value, everything just feels like you're wa- you're about to sit down and watch an anime, which is just insane to me. Wow. The the character design all also well to be fair the character design is also done by someone who um, has had his hand in making some iconic animes and manga, so that is not surprising. I'm just really surprised at how animated dang story is man yeah. it does look stylish i looked at some gameplay trailers and oh it is very stylish, stylish. yeah yeah like the gameplay the is few of it when you get into the flow of the gameplay and the combat system it is very nice to watch and very satisfying but it also kind of takes a lot of time i mean i'm in chapter four right now i'm about 10 hours in and it took me this long to finally understand the gameplay. And it's good. I'm not going to say it's great. Um, it has its, you know, it, it has its plus points. It also has its minus points. Um, mostly has to do with, uh, the minus mostly has to do with the platforming, which is weird because it's a game where you have platforming and you can't jump. What? 
That's like yeah, a basic you use... of platforming. Yeah, so um, in this game, you have this creature called a Legion, which you use in combat. So it and you fight together, but the Legion basically auto-attacks and you press the right trigger to attack uh, your with your character, which I don't know why they put it on that button. It's really annoying because you have to tap the button every time instead of, like, hold it. Can you not um, map the controls? You can't... Well, you no, you have preset control mappings, oh. and none of them are any better than the default that they give you. <laughs> so, stuck with that. Um, that's also kind of one of the minus points of that. Because every button is used in this game, and every kind of modifier for buttons that you can do is also used for this game. And that's fine. It's just that the mapping is not ideal to me. I don't know if other people are able to wrap their heads around it and get over it, but I kind of can't. I just have to deal with it, which is what I'm doing right now. So, um, But yeah, so your legion is how you jump. You direct your legion with the right analog stick and then use uh, the retract button to pull yourself to another platform. And it is not accurate. Like half of the time, I'm just falling into a pit, and then the legion has to pull me back up, it's which a takes a bit of your there, life. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a lot of trial and error when it comes to platforming. When it comes to combat, it's fine because you're kicking ass and taking names and taking cores, like, well, literally lifting the core out of the enemies with your legion. And it looks cool. I mean, the game runs at 30 frames per second, but honestly, I don't give a rat's butt because the game is pretty. Mm -hmm. It is really pretty, and you you do flashy combos, and it is awesome. So I'm just going to continue and play on Astral Chain. I'll keep you guys posted on that, and I'm going to move on to the next stuff because I still have two more things I want to talk about. Uh, the next one is the Damon X Machina Prologue demo, which dropped... Uh, on the same day as the Nintendo Direct, after the Nintendo Direct, which is also one of the other shadow drops that I wanted to mention. And um, yeah, so a couple of months ago, I think earlier in the year, they dropped an, uh, a beta for the game that everybody could partake in. And afterwards, you could give feedback either through a form that they sent to random people or through social media. Um, and it looks like they took a lot of hit to heart because, wow, it is night and day between those two. Between what I played back then, which I already thought was kind of okay and interesting, the, the, uh, sorry, I'm kind of lost for words. The demo opens it up to a whole new thing. It's basically the same thing that I played before in the beta, but now because it's, you know, the prologue, it's part of, I think, the first chapter of the game, um, which is cool because just like Dragon Quest uh, 11s on the Switch, the save file for this demo continues on to the main game, which means that if you like the demo and you want to continue playing Daemon X Machina, you can buy the game and continue where you left off. You don't have to worry about starting all over. So this is the first part of that game. And first of all, the performance, way better. 60 frames, 
seems pretty solid. The the graphics have actually looked better. Um, the character design still leaves a lot to be desired, but you know, there's no accounting for taste, and uh, everybody has their own preferences in terms of stuff like that. But honestly, Sean, I would hope that you also find some time and play the Daemon X Machina Prologue demo, because I kind of want to know your opinion on this um, as well, because it plays very smoothly. It moves very smoothly. They improved the lock-on feature, which was so really flimsy in the first, in the, in the, in the beta, and they improved targeting, they improved visibility. Uh, I haven't yet played against, like, really big enemies, other than the one from the beta, which was this two like this setup thing where you can't win, you just have to survive. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully, we get to see the big giant spider thing from the from the from the beta. But yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised. I was planning on kind of skipping Damon X Machina until after the reviews were out, but. After playing a bit of the demo, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll pick it up sometime late. Well, not right away because um, I still have Zelda to look forward to this month, and I I want to finish Astral Chain first. And honestly, I just want to pick up Zelda and um, go through that. But after that, I might pick up Damon X Machina because uh, it's looking tight. I'm uh, downloading the demo right now on my Switch, so. Uh... I'll let you know what I think about it. Cool. And the last thing that I want to talk about real quickly, of course, is the thing that was announced in the Direct, which is the Super Nintendo games, which, of course, is my wheelhouse because that's the first system that I owned and I played and I love to bits. And I still feel that the Super Nintendo is one of the, if not the best system out there, bar none, with one of the best libraries out there a lot of classic games got their start on that a lot of franchises got their start on there and spread their wings from the super nintendo so yeah i was really happy to try out some of the games that aren't it like i said there were 20 titles on there i haven't played all of them because not all of them really are interesting to me like super soccer or super tennis but i played and beat super mario world again which was fun and brief. Um, I played Yoshi's Island, which ironically they actually fixed because in, if you've picked up the Super Nintendo Classic Mini, um, it also has Yoshi's Island, but one of the levels has a weird bug in it where the background flashes for a second and everything from the middle uh, from the middle layer disappears when this specific effects come. It's on this level called Touch Fuzzy Get Dizzy, which is one of the most one of the coolest levels that they made in this game. Um, you touch this thing called the fuzzy, and the whole screen starts warping and warbling. But the thing is that it's not just an effect; the whole terrain is adapted. And Yoshi looks like he's drunk or um, on some weird substance and his eyes are bugged out and he's swaying left and right. And the whole terrain is just wobbling up and down and he's wobbling over it like 
you know, trying to walk on waves. And it's just the most fun level. It's not the most fun level, but it is the most creative level in the game. And they fixed that for this version, which is funny because you think that, oh, maybe they didn't fix it, but they did. They did fix it, which is really cool. Um, I played a, a bunch of other stuff. I played Brawl Brothers. Heck, I even played Mario Super Mario Kart, and I played it online against uh, my buddy J Prof, and he lost like a lot. <laughs> That's a first. But, uh, well, to be completely fair to him, Super Mario Kart is probably the most difficult Mario Kart out there. Um, because it was the first game and there's like a lot of stuff that um wasn't exact but wasn't uh wasn't perfected on until like later games but it is very very tight it's like a very tight racing game so i like the part that and, you can play multiplayer on such an old game through the nintendo switch yeah, really it is nice really cool and it works seamlessly there's there was from what i experienced and i haven't asked him what his experience was from his side but from my side it didn't feel like there was any lag and if, it, if there was it was negligible or maybe so, it lagged so hard that you beat him every time <laughs> no nah, i'm just gonna say that he was not good at it well so, i hope he's listening or he will listen to this <laughs> and he'll respond properly <laughs> i already told him he doesn't care oh, nice. <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, that was. I mean, it's a fun experience. Um, if you have Nintendo Switch Online, it's a great addition. I recommend picking it up, playing a game. Even if you haven't heard of the game before, give it a try. You might like it. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, what I've been playing lately. So that's it for this segment. Um, stick, stick around, folks, and we'll be right back with our Hidden Gems. All righty, welcome back, everybody, to our last segment, the hidden gem. Hidden uh... <laughs> we need like a we need like a jingle for this, man. Yeah, or a soundboard in which we can, you know, inject some uh, sounds or quotes we often use. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll let you go first. Yeah, so um, my hidden gem is, uh, yet again, another PlayStation game. Um, also a JRPG, but this one is very unique. I, I think I said that about the last one, too, didn't I? Yeah. I like playing unique games. Sue me. Um, <laughs> but this time, I'm talking about a game that spawned a team that has now been acquired by Nintendo, which are doing a great job for them. And um, I already talked about it a little bit in the first segment, and it is called Xenogears. So Xenogears is a game made by Square Enix. A specific team of uh, people made Xenogears. And it is a very unique JRPG, in which is that it is a turn-based JRPG, but the battle system is its unique catch. Whereas normally you just select a command and then execute, 
what you do in Xenogears is that when you, um, when it's your turn to attack with one of your characters, you have command inputs that you can do. So what you do is you have your regular attacks, which you perform by pressing either, um, let me see if I got this right, um, cross, square, or triangle, um, not circle. I think circle is used to cancel, so that's not it. But basically, whenever you hit one of those attacks, it drains a part of your attack meter. So every button has a value. Exit uh, crosses one, square was two, and triangle was three points worth. And whenever you level up, eventually your attack meter grows so that you can perform essentially more combos. And you can even perform special attacks by performing a certain button combination in order. So, for example, one of the attacks that one of your main characters, Faye, can do is cross, cross, and then square, which is in total of four points, and that allows you to do a special attack, which is really cool. You can either do that or cancel out of an attack pattern, so you, if you want to build up the amount of attack points that you have during the battle, you can press X once and then hit circle to cancel and then save those points and it goes on to the next one. What that does is it allows you to um, go into this hyper mode where you use the special attacks in succession to one another. So you can do one special attack at another and it looks really cool and flashy. Also, one of the unique things about this game is because it's a PlayStation game, um, one of the weird things that Sony in the early days of the PlayStation was requiring uh, developers to do is make your games in 3D because our whole thing is about we are a system that has like capable 3D graphics, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But once that has cooled down, developers were allowed to do more cool stuff with their graphics. So I'm guessing this it's case, a PS1 game based on that? Yeah, it's a PlayStation 1 game. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So what they did with that is they have the 3D environments, but all the characters are 2D hand-drawn sprites. Oh, okay. Which looks fine, but considering the limitations of the PlayStation, they look pixelated. Mm, that's normal for that time, I think. Yeah, it is normal for that time. Um, but it is a really cool look. For the most part, except for when they're standing next to their giant mechs. Did I mention this game had mechs? Uh, what? Because they do. They're called Gears. And um, you have special ones that are called Pino Gears. That are made by the gods, in quotes. And they are very rare and hard to find because nobody knows where they are. Spoiler alert, one of them is hiding right amongst you early on in the game. I'm not going to say which one it is, just, um, yeah. But <laughs> anyway, <Okay. laughs> but anyway, the thing is, the, the mechs, the environments are all in 3D. The character sprites are 3D hand-drawn sprites. Now, in the overworld, they look kind of pixelated, 
but in the battle sequences, they look way better, obviously, because you want them to look good during a battle. And it's really neatly animated, and it's just so darn good of a game flow, but the game is huge and has a lot of symbolism in it. So if that, like, if weird religious symbolism is not your thing when it comes to video games, skip it. Other than that, Xenoblade, uh, Xenoblade, well, sorry, sorry about that. Xenogears is a really good game, and I totally recommend it. Um, unfortunately, it's not on the European PlayStation Store, so you can't get it through that. You can, however, if you have a U.S. account, get it on the U.S. Uh, on the U.S. PlayStation Store because for some reason they do have it on there, which is weird because it's a really good game, and honestly, more people should play it. Um, unfortunately, the team there was not allowed to um, expound on the Xenogears story after the first game so most of the team essentially left to form a new studio called monolith soft and they essentially made a spiritual successor kind of um called sino saga that was exclusively on the playstation 2 i think they had a spin-off on the ds or something i don't remember um but it, that one was co was published by namco bandai um the studio eventually got bought by Nintendo, hence the Zeno, uh, the Zeno Blade franchise. Yes, the, the the studio has a theme. All their main story, all their main games are called Zeno something, except for Button Kaitos, which I will say for another um, hidden gem. But suffice to say, Zeno Gears is where it all began, and it is totally recommended to pick it up. It is a very long game. It has a lot of story. And it can get pretty dark in the story. But for the gameplay alone... I haven't even talked about the mech gameplay. Which is really awesome. It's basically the same as when you're playing on foot. But you're doing it in a giant freaking mech. Oh, that and you're good. punching stuff and firing laser beams. And going all freaking glowy and stuff and it is really awesome and it has its own kind of mechanics because of course they are mechs and they use fuel so you have basic attacks that don't use fuel but then you have special attacks that use fuel and you have to manage your fuel gauge and stuff and it is just it's just such a wild and amazing ride you kind of don't want it to end and considering how long the game is it might never but it does end eventually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's kind of a shame that we'll never ever see a sequel to that particular game franchise, but at least we have the first game to enjoy. So that's my uh, hidden gem for uh, this episode. What is yours, Sean Templar? Mine is a game called Battlestar Galactica Deadlock. Which is basically, uh, for sci-fi fans out there, there's a TV show called Battlestar Galactica. It was, uh, I think, a TV show in the 70s or 80s. And then, uh, like, 10 years ago, it got uh, remade by the Sci-Fi Channel. 
at the time it was pretty big because it was one of the first proper sci-fi tv shows that was really good had a good budget the effects were really nice the soundtrack was really nice um the tv show revolves around that humanity lives on 12 colonies i believe and they develop a robotic race that is supposed to serve them kind of like robo slaves and then these uh, sla- robots certain at one point turn uh, turn on their masters and say hey we want to become independent and this huge war breaks out between these between the humans and the the robots and then in the tv show there's there's a fragile piece after the first cylon war as they call it because the robots are called uh, cylons um and then they out of the blue get attacked and humanity is almost extinct because of uh this surprise attack and they try to find the 13th colony called earth um and the show takes them through all sorts of challenges uh the game is set during this first cylon war uh and it's basically a turn-based strategy game so it's kind of like a really light uh total war game in which that in which you have this board with all the planets and you can make your moves you have turns kind of like in a total war game and then you build your fleets and then in your fleets you have different kind of ships some are really fast and are good at um, causing uh, damage some are really slow and have uh, fighter jets called uh, vipers or raptors which are more of a support class or they can take a lot of damage um, you can upgrade your ships uh, you can develop uh, rockets guided rockets nuclear missiles um uh all sorts of upgrades basically and then um as you progress you get a battle star which is this huge warship basically uh they're really strong but for example really slow Uh, and then when you position your fleet towards a planet and there's an enemy fleet you engage in the turn-based strategy part in which you actually have to deploy your fleet and based on turns during that combat, you try to take out the enemy fleet. Um, looks really pretty. It plays really nice. Um, you are restricted in your uh, in your mo- in your movement, so you can't like f- constantly fly around. You just have a movement meter per turn, for example. Um, and based on that, uh, you can also, um, for example, choose a defensive stand. L- decreasing your movement because you're basically increasing your defenses or you can take an offensive stand meaning your defenses decrease but your your movement uh, increases or your attack power increases and then the ships also for example have armor on all sides so if you position your ship above another ship you get the kind of a, a surprise angle on them you can do more damage because your is armor on the top side or the lower side is weaker um it's made by a studio I didn't really know, and it's not a full-blown 60 bucks game. I think I bought it for 30 bucks on Steam, and then eventually it came to PlayStation and Xbox. I bought it there as well. Um, but for the price I paid, it's a really comprehensive game. I just looked at the Steam page. Um, the, so the developer is Black Lab Games, but the publisher, and I'm, I'm looking at this publisher's name three times to make sure that I'm going to read it right because I can't believe that the name is what it is. But the publisher's name is called Slytherin. Yeah, I've heard about... Yeah. 
Yeah, kind of like Harry Potter. As in the Harry Potter house. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah, well, the game is really fun. And the, <laughs> the, the, well, good. Yeah, yeah. The developers have been bringing out both free content updates, adding extra ships or adding new features to the games. Um, they've added multiplayer uh, features to the games. They've even brought out paid expansions, which add even more missions and more planets and more uh, ships. Basically, what you expect from an expansion pack. Um, it's been a while since I've played the game, but when it first came out, I really put some time into it. And I really like it because, yeah, I, if you haven't noticed, I like strategy games, generally these huge scale RTS games. And, well, strategy games are kind of a rare breed these days. I remember 10 years ago, the, the, the PC market was overrun and over flooded with uh, PC uh, RTS games. And now it's really rare to find one. There's also a few studios left that kind of make these games, such as Relic Entertainment, who made Company of Heroes and a few Warhammer games, or the Creative Assembly, who does the Total War franchise. Um, well, apparently this studio does, like, that's all they do is make strategy games. Yeah, yeah. The, the other games they made were pretty unknown games for me. I never had heard of the games they made. I know that there is, because of maybe um, Steam early access, that a lot of indie developers are making strategy games it's just really hard to notice them because yeah, i'm not a really huge fan of early access because i'm basically funding the development of a game and sometimes i have to pay a premium and then i get a half game yeah that's kind of what you sign up for yeah well that and the steam page is kind of freaking terrible lately because everything just gets buried under new releases yeah or a, a game gets review bombed whereas it's a good game but there's something wrong or the community doesn't like something and they just bomb the page with bad reviews yeah yeah but basically like if you're looking for a sci-fi game with a good uh with a fun story and some good proper mechanics in there this is definitely worth a try i think it's also often on sale so you can pick it up for less if you want and just try it out it's really fun i prefer the pc version obviously because as a mouse and keyboard um but the controls for example on playstation aren't that bad as well it's pretty playable on playstation it's just you'll probably have more fun on pc because it's a lot easier and faster to do things but for another example which is really cool is that um your your ships can as i mentioned dive or elevate their position uh, and you really have to be, you have to kind of like in chess, you have to plan your moves ahead. You kind of have to look, okay, in which direction do you want to maneuver my fleet? Okay, if I turn to the right, maybe I can use my side guns to bombard this ship or this enemy ship. But if you don't think ahead properly enough, you can also cause your ships to crash into each other and then you might wipe out your whole fleet. It happened to me a couple of times that I wasn't looking ahead too much and suddenly during the movement phase, two ships crashed into each other. And I'm like, oh, crap, I only have these really bad ships left and I can't win the battle with that. <laughs> so that's also like an unexpected uh, factor in the game. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that sounds very uh, four-dimensionally. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Or, well, for the 3D, it sounds like a lot of like a 3D chess kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. And if you're a fan of Battlestar Galactica, it'll only add more because it has some of the lore of the series and TV show in there. Exactly. And yeah. you can even see some characters who are mentioned in the TV show pop up because it's obviously said before the TV show. So, for example, 
grandparents of so- certain characters in the show pop up in this uh, game. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Ties it all neatly together. Definitely. Ooh, just like the hidden ga- the hidden gems ties off this uh, episode of Game Rivals. Does indeed. Uh, yeah. Cool. Oh, this has been quite the episode. We had a lot to talk about. A lot of games that we played. Um, a lot of games that were announced, stuff like that. A lot of news that we had to talk about. Um, Sean Templer, will you do us the honor and uh, tell everybody where they can find us? Okay, let's try to nail this one. Cool. So thank you for listening. You can always send us your feedback through our email address, gamerivalsfeedback at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at game underscore rivals underscore. You can follow Maximilian on Twitter at Maximilian. That's right. We have, uh, in every episode, we have an anchor link in which you can just simply click on it and leave us a voice message. You don't have to... Or copy-paste. Or copy-paste. You don't have to create an anchor account for that. You can just click on it and then leave us your message. Um, If you do, we might feature you as a game rival in one of our episodes. Um, Did I miss something? Yeah, you can find us on any uh, oh, yeah. podcasting uh, service that you uh, like to frequent. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Overcast Google Podcasts, wherever you like to, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and, uh, Tokyo Game yeah. Show is coming up, so we might do a bonus episode, maybe if if there's enough interesting things coming out of out of uh, out of it, we might do another bonus episode. Yeah. Um, if not, we'll just uh, put a it regular, in the news uh, segment of the regular episode, which yeah. is in two weeks. Um, so uh, thank you guys for listening. Spread the word and um, the love around the, word. Uh, around the game rivals. Yes, let people know that we are out there and that they can listen to a cool podcast about two guys who are um, maybe not always on the same line, but do agree that video games are things that can bring us together and um, have a good time just talking about them. Definitely. Yeah. So this is Maximilian X. And John Dampler. Signing off and have a wonderful day. <laughs>